Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to update you guys that we just announced Starting Small Summit 2024. We launched Starting Small Summit in 2022 with an amazing panel of founders. We flew in for a live event that carried on to 2023, and now we're excited to do our third annual event this year in the Midwest. So make sure to click the link in this description so you can find more information on that and find more about our speakers and enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Brad Sharon of Aloha, the healthiest, best tasting plant-based protein products on the planet. A protein bar fanatic myself, I can proudly say that Aloha is one of the trailblazers in e-commerce for plant-based protein bars that actually taste good. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Brad Sharon of Aloha. Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Cameron. How are you? Doing great. Thank you. So to start out, I would like to get into your upbringing. Um, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? I mean, this is like therapy for me. I should be lying on a couch and <laughs> or at least I should have a stiff drink in hand. Uh, I have neither, neither, no couch, no drink. Um, oh, man. Uh, next time, food for thought. No, um, exactly. Uh, my upbringing was, was, it was a, a great one. I mean, it, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Minnesota. Um, where I learned how to play hockey and you know, learned that summer was only one month. August is the only month. Yep. Uh, and, um, uh, and I traveled around. I lived in Connecticut and in, and in uh, Pennsylvania and a bunch of places. My father traveled around for business. It wasn't a military family. He was a military officer, but he was out of the military by then. Mm. But we traveled around for work. And so it became pretty normal to go on different business trips with him and, and see different parts of the country and international and going to Japan and Europe and so forth. But, um, mm. but it was a great, great upbringing. Uh, they moved out to the East Coast uh, and I had to find a place to play hockey. So yeah. I went to a place called the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, where my oldest daughter uh, is now starting as a ninth grader. So that makes me, makes me feel pretty aged. Uh, <laughs> I feel aged every day, but that's doubly. And, um, uh, and, so, and then I, I got to go to a great school that you know pretty well. Uh, yep. called the University of Notre Dame and, uh, and, and had a, a wonderful undergraduate experience there. Um, and then that was the beginning kind of my business, my business journey. So coming from Ohio, what led you to go to the University of Notre Dame? I mean, it's fairly close, but I'm curious. What did you study there as well? Well, when I studied at Notre Dame, I studied history. Mm -hmm. um, well, history and hockey. So I played hockey with the Irish. Okay. Um, I was a goalie um, and, and that was, you know, I quickly realized I wasn't good enough to make it to the NHL. And if I, if I wouldn't have realized that other people would have told me that. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but I loved history. I still love it. Um, I love to study the past. I love the idea, uh, of understanding the trends and patterns of human behavior and how to apply that into the future. I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, in, in past is precedent. Uh, and, um, and I also believe in karma. I love to see what mm -hmm. kind of what happens. Yeah. So, uh, I was a history major, uh, and, um, uh, and I took a couple business classes uh, because I thought I want might want to go into business afterwards. So I took a finance class and I took an accounting class. Both of them pass fail. Uh, yeah. I, I passed barely, <laughs> um, but uh, but that was really the beginning. It was about learning how to read, write, think, and speak. Mm. And uh, and Notre Dame did a great job of teaching me that as well as just the just the classic values that you would expect at a preeminent institution like like the Irish. Um, yep. And, uh, and had a great experience at, at a formative age. Mm. So I, I know you have a very extensive um, resume. Kind of at this time at Notre Dame, what was your intentions and aspirations to uh, concluding graduation that you wanted to do? I know your father 
uh, was at Procter & Gamble. So kind of touch on some of that. Well, he started his career at Procter & Gamble, and that's where I was born in Cincinnati. So I guess yep. I had it in the blood about understanding like, consumer packaged goods. Yep. Uh, but at, at that time, look, I, I knew I didn't want to do certain things. I didn't want to go be an engineer. I wasn't smart enough. Uh, I didn't want to be an academic. It wasn't action-oriented enough. Um, mm. uh, I thought business could be interesting. And so, um, again, I was applying with a liberal arts degree uh, to businesses. And, um, and I really didn't know what I wanted to, wanted to be to, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. And so I was told that consulting was a good way to go into it. And so mm. I applied to some of the top consulting firms in the country. Um, and I got rejected from almost all of them. Um, McKinsey mm. <laughs> told me I wasn't good enough. Bain, uh, monitor BCG. I wasn't good enough for any of them. Oh. Uh, it's, it, it's okay. I, I probably wasn't. Uh, yeah. But I was, uh, but I found a really good mentor uh, at Ernst and Young Strategy Consulting Group. Uh, I met a really good friend, a guy named Matt Strickland, who lives in Dallas and who's the godfather of my oldest daughter. I met a, a wonderful guy named Naveen Sika, who is a founder of a regenerative agriculture company called Terviva, who I just okay. partnered on on an Aloha Innovation. So awesome. I got an understanding of business from a consulting standpoint. Yeah. Um, I met some really good friends. I got to think about things in a, in a safe space on someone else's dime, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, and I also realized I didn't want to be a consultant. I didn't mm. like it. Uh, it yeah. wasn't ownership. It wasn't accountable. I, I was making an academic recommendation and then the client would either adopt it or put it on a shelf. Yeah. And so, uh, so I, I realized I didn't want to be a consultant, but I appreciated kind of the thought process of what it was like to, to start a business. Mm, for sure. So following kind of this era of consulting, what I know you did get into CPG actually eventually. So what did that journey look like for you? And uh, specifically, was it food and beverage? Was it what, what was that next step? Well, it, it soon became food and beverage, but really it was about uh, uh, it was a chance visit to Hong Kong where mm -hmm. I met a fashion entrepreneur named Rotten Chata. Uh, okay. And uh, over uh, over a meal, he convinced me to move to Amsterdam where his company was based in the Netherlands. And so I mm. moved from Boston to Amsterdam in three weeks. I didn't know anyone wow. in Europe. I didn't know anything. I didn't speak Dutch. Fortunately, they spoke English. Um, but uh, I moved to Europe. I just randomly did it. And, uh, and I went to work in the commercial sales group of his fashion company called Mex, M-E-X-X. Mm. Uh, and then later I got to launch Lucky Brand Jeans, one of my favorite companies of all time, an LA-based denim company. Wow. I was the first brand manager, the commercial manager to launch them into Europe. Uh, Europe, Huge. Russia, and the Middle East. And I did it at the age, Cameron, of, I think I had just turned 24. Wow. Um, I had no idea what I was doing other than <laughs> I liked I liked the idea of, of, of building a story. Um, yeah. Why an LA-based denim company was relevant to a European consumer that had a lot of great denim brands. Yeah. And, um, and so that was a fascinating exercise in terms of what to do and what not to do. Yeah. And so just, you know, one quick story is there is, um, you know, this was 2001, 2002, 2003, Cameron, mm -hmm. and being an American in Europe wasn't the best of things, right? Yeah. It was just a difficult time. And so I'm launching an American brand in Europe. And so yeah. what I learned quickly is about positioning. So I didn't position LA, a Lucky Brand, as an American denim company like it was being positioned here in the U.S. Yeah. I positioned it more about Los Angeles mm. because Los Angeles was just cool, man. It was yeah. just awesome no matter what. It was about the beach. It was about waves. It was about surfing. It was about culture. It was about hanging out with your buddies. Yep. It was those kind of things as opposed to in the U.S., it was about the four-leaf clover. It was about American denim. It was about mm. American new manufacturing. 
And so I learned very early about the story of positioning and the story of branding yeah. and how that matters to cultivate the right consumer following. And then I took that in my whole career, Cameron. Mm. I went into, uh, I got an internship at Procter & Gamble wow. in the Gillette business. Um, I got my first real business experience postgraduate school at Frito-Lay, which for wow. those of you that listen that know, that's the most entrepreneurial group of PepsiCo. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then it was kind of, from there I went both food and fashion, food and fashion. And for the last uh, 10 plus years, I've been strictly in food. Incredible. So what does what this kind of like uh, journey look like for you? Um, at a young age, 24, launching out externally outside the U.S., coming back. Were you moving a lot in the U.S.? Were these companies all in different states, regions? What was that like? Yeah, they were all over the place. I mean, I went to yeah. graduate school in Boston. I lived in Dallas then. I uh, did a stint at the head, head of men's marketing in Under Armour yeah. uh, uh, in Maryland. Signed Tom Brady to his first Under Armour contract and wow. went to China with Mike Phelps and... <laughs> and um, you know, I got to do a lot of different things. Moved the family around. My wife is from Germany. Okay. Um, and so I, my three daughters, oldest two daughters were born in Dallas. They're Texans. Mm-hmm. And uh, the youngest one is a crab from Maryland. So, um, wow. so I mean, we've been all over the place. We've been in the New York City metro area for about 10 years. But, but you know about you know, the pace of business as you go where yeah. you need to go. Exactly. Uh, with Aloha, I've spent a lot of time in Hawaii. Uh, I went to honeymoon in Hawaii. I've, I've always been connected to the islands. But yep. I go now multiple times a year. I even have a local Hawaiian council uh, mm. that I created of ethnic and native Hawaiians to bring some of that, um, uh, the pono, the karma, yeah. the spirit, uh, the ohana, uh, all, sure. all the concept of, of, of Hawaiian spirituality uh, and the real meaning of aloha. I had to understand that firsthand. And I, so I had to be there. Um, and so in business, I've lived all over the place. My family has lived all over the place. Um, and, and we've gotten a lot of different cultural experiences along mm. the way. For sure. Let's get into kind of 2017. So, I mean, such an impressive background up leading up until this point. 2017, Aloha comes, plant-based protein. What, what was the inspiration behind this launch? You had some experience in food and beverage. What, what was behind that? Yeah, look, I, I've liked, I like food a lot. I, I like food and fashion a lot because the consumer is the ultimate arbitrator of what wins and loses. Yep. Right. It's not as much a commodity game. It's not about first mover access per se. It's um, it's not a service industry. Um, you, you know, it, it's it's the consumer. It's all about understanding and, and being driven by by what the consumer wants. Yep. Um, and what's interesting is sometimes they, they tell you what they want, but they want, but they really act and behave differently. Yep. So all the brands I've worked on, Under Armour, Chobani, Frito Lay. I did a stint right before I I worked at Aloha with Kind Snacks. Okay. And it was all about brands that were challenging the status quo. They were yeah. distinguishably better in certain ways. And those are the kind of companies and brands I've always been been fascinated by. Mm. I, I want to understand why one wins and why one loses. And it's not sure. just product. Yep. It's not only commercial strategy. It's not only pricing strategy. It's all those things I never understood in business back in the day until I'd actually experienced it firsthand. Yeah. Um, so 2017, I was I was thinking, Cameron, I'd, I'd been a part of entrepreneurial companies. I'd been a part of challenger brands. Again, I was at Under Armour before it was a billion dollars in sales fighting against Nike. I was at Chobani before the yogurt wars. Um, And uh, I finally just said, look, why not me? Like, why not us? And I wanted to start something. And I've always loved organic food. Uh, I'm a big big believer in plant-based nutrition. Mm. Uh, Again, coming from an athletic background, I knew about food as the building block to to performance, but also just increasingly as you get older, uh, about vitality. And, and good food allows you to go do X. 
It allows yep. you to achieve Y. It allows you to feel Z. Yep. And so uh, starting a company from, from scratch um, was one of the options I considered. What, what I ended up doing is, honestly, there was this company called Aloha that had been created in 2013 as like a food tech company. Okay. Now, Cameron, I don't know what food tech is. I'm not yeah. smart enough. I can't figure out what food tech is. But it was created that way. And, and it was founded in Honolulu. And it was run you know, in, in, in various parts of the country. And they had nine or ten different product categories. Um, and they were failing. Mm. They were burning money. They were failing. They were too big. They weren't focused on execution. And I got to know the lead investor of this company, a German altruistic guy, an entrepreneur himself, who was a, just a great human being. Mm. And he and I stuck up, struck up a friendship. And, uh, and we decided to, to, to kind of take this over together. And so I took out my dynamite and I just pulled down the lever and I blew everything up. <laughs> except the idea of better. Except yeah. the idea of what aloha truly means. Except the idea of I want to be a plant-based pioneer. Yeah. So I spent uh, two years or a year and a half in effect building, rebuilding a product portfolio uh, re-architecting, re re-engineering a, uh, a commercial enterprise, mm. uh, setting good financial metrics in place so that we wouldn't, you know, burn off the shirt off our back before we even got a chance to wear it. Yeah. And, um, and started this company called Aloha in earnest. Mm. And, uh, and that's, that was kind of the beginning of, of, of the, the brand that you see today and you see it in Whole Foods and you see it yep. in Sprouts and HEB and Harris Teeter and Amazon and Aloha.com. You name it, you see it. And we're so honored that people are continue to adopt the brand and try it and, and say this is their favorite brand because it all started back in 17 with a little bit of fearlessness and a little bit of stupidity and saying, I could be someone who could lead a new enterprise mm. uh, around the belief that business can be a force for good. Yeah, I love it. So I think a huge pivotal point for this turning point of you taking over, um, what did that reconstruction look like product-wise? And what did you reintroduce? What did you introduce? Um, what did that R&D process look like from your POV? Well, I wanted to cut, I did cut back everything, Cameron. Yeah. I mean, it, there's no point in re-engineering something that's broken. Um, yeah. You just kind of, you kind of got to clear the surface and start again. Um, yep. I wanted to be organic. I believe in USD organic. Uh, I mm -hmm. wanted to be non-GMO project verified. I believe in it. Yeah. Um, I, I, as I, under, under Armour, I was watching guys like Ray Lewis uh, become pescatarians. I was watching athletes become vegetarian. Now, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but yeah. I believe in plant-based a lot. Um, and I yep. believe in the idea of cleaner ingredients. Uh, I wasn't willing to sacrifice in the food, Cameron. And so if I wasn't willing to sacrifice in the food, I needed to make sure I could engineer and build the food correctly to have a certain margin profile that would allow me to be sustainable. Because yeah. what I didn't want to do is start a startup that needed money all the time. Exactly. I don't like asking for money. It makes me feel dirty. Uh, it, it's, it's not a rewarding thing to be a race for how much funding you can get. I don't for think sure. that's a measure of success for a business. I think good, yep. a good top line and a good bottom line and a good brand are good business metrics. Exactly. So, um, so I focused on a couple categories, uh, starting with bars which is a, a protein bars, which is a big, big $6 billion domestic market. Mm -hmm. Very fragmented, has some really good brands in it, yep. um, and has some unclean or some brands that just, time has passed them by, I'll say it that way. Yeah. Um, I had a, a protein powders and I launched protein drinks to complement the occasion, mm. to become a ritual for people, to allow them to buy into a concept, a platform, yeah. without being judgy and prescribed for that, you have to do this or you have to do that. 
That's sure. why I'm not like a keto brand. I'm not, I don't ascribe to one specific food philosophy other than clean ingredients, the right macronutrient profile, the right certification. So that's p other people who are smart saying nice things about you. Yep. And then a brand that spoke to the values of Hawaii, the, the brand that spoke to the values of Aloha, which is humility, transparency, community, goodness, mm. uh, those kind of human values yeah. that I value in others and, and hopefully live up to myself. Uh, but then you can bring a brand through that, through that journey with you. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Brad's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, The Chopping Block. Chicago's premier school for home cooks, offering intimate, interactive cooking classes daily in their state-of-the-art kitchens. What's really cool about this concept is you can go with a team, a leadership team. I actually went a couple months ago with one of my teams, and it's really interactive, collaborative, and you don't have to have any cooking background. They walk you through step-by-step, -step, give you the raw ingredients, and you make an amazing dish and get to enjoy it at the end. You get put into groups and you work together to create the perfect dish based off of that theme. If you're in the Midwest ever, I highly recommend you guys check out The Chopping Block, an extremely interactive cooking experience. Make sure to check them out at thechoppingblock.com. That's thechoppingblock.com and enjoy the rest of the episode. At the, those early days, um, what did production look like? Did you guys have a co-packer and then a 3PL? Was anything in-house? What, what was that kind of looking like at that time? No, it's a great question. I mean, and, and, and there's many different ways to build the train, right? Yeah. Build, you know, you can, you know, people talk about build the plane while flying it. Yep. Um, well, well, my plane was going down. And so <laughs> I had to just jettison baggage to try to get the weight load out um, and, um, and then get us stabilized and then start figuring out how to propel the, the business forward. But yep. um, um, no, we, we, you know, we had a, we, we, we had a series of contract manufacturers when I got in the company. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of started from scratch, found a new one. Yep. Um, we uh, we had a warehouse and we had a, a, a 3PL, um, but we really didn't have a partnership with them the way we do now. Yeah. Um, we, we've started to build some systems into place. You build some process into place. You build transparency and trust. And one of the things you do with your partners is you kind of show them where you think you're headed. You give For them sure. a roadmap. Because if yep. they don't know where you're going, they really can't be assistant, you know, assisting yep. you on, on the way. And a lot of people think that you have to hold it within... It has to be my story and my journey and my this and my that. And you just don't have the resources to be precious. Yeah. And so asking good questions was key. Um, so we, we did find some good relationships. We've maintained those relationships, Cameron. What's interesting is we've scaled the company mm. X, X percent, right? We're, we're at a yeah. $100 million run right now. Incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it pinched me. I never thought we could get there to, to some days. Uh, yeah. Overall, I did, but not some days. Some days are bad days, man. <laughs> but uh, but the co-mans are still the same same ones. The, the the warehouse still the same one. The freight companies largely the same. Uh, there's a lot of people who have been involved since the beginning, mm. and then they needed to back me. They needed to buy into where I was going, and so it was yeah. that two way street of information and transparency that was pretty important, Cameron. Uh, yep. Because otherwise, I was just honestly a, a fly on the shoulder. Uh, yeah. And now I'm a, I'm a large part of their businesses, which means that we have a relationship that's, mm. that's truly one of equals. Incredible. Talking on like the go-to-market strategy for you guys, did you guys focus uh, getting into retail regionally? Did you guys land a, a large national partner? I know you guys are, you're, like you said, you're expanded like crazy now. So what, what do those early days look like in retail expansion? Well, I was told to do a lot of things or I yeah. was suggested to do a lot of things. And um at the end of the day, Cameron, I was very, very patient and um, uh, I was very choiceful because I didn't want to screw it up. 
Yeah. You know, you get you get one chance to make a first impression, brother, right? You get yeah. one. So so make it worthwhile. For um, sure. I was really curious about how consumers going to re- going to react to this. This is 2017, 18, 19, right? So yep. Amazon is very much, you know, in the cards. Uh, this is pre-COVID. So, you know, but but still digital was really interesting for me. Yeah. And um, so I, I did a little bit of both. I, I dabbled in some retail. So mm-hmm. my first real partner was Harris Teeter, okay. which is a chain down in the Southeast US. They're part of Kroger, but they're independent. Yeah. And I found a, a two great partners, one Matt named Matt Gagne, one named Matt Saharis, uh, who who bet on me. And uh, and we made a, a real big, a big bet together over the course of years. And they're probably my closest partner today. Uh, awesome. But they they bet on me, and and I had a P and L that still would make me money, yeah, which was great. They made money, I made money. It was a partnership. Uh, mm-hmm. Digitally, I hired a great digital executive in in uh, 2019, fall 2019, named Stephen Gamellan, who really yeah. helped partner with me in building a digital strategy that would have multiple legs of the stool. Yes, it'd have Amazon. Yes, it'd have Aloha.com, our direct to consumer business. Yeah, but it'd also have Thrive Market. Thrive Market became one of our closest partners and is today one of our closest partners digitally because our consumers share a lot of the same values. Yeah. So anyone who's listening who's a Thrive Market consumer knows what I'm talking about. But if you don't, it's a it's a culture, it's a community. They segment the brands based on values made in the yep. USA, organic, non-GMO, whatever it is. It segments the brands and, and it has a really good curation of products. So mm. we're now the number one brand there in Thrive in our category. Incredible. Uh, we're dominant market share in Harris Teeter in our category. Th- these aren't accidental, Cameron. It yeah. takes a lot of time. Uh, some days I wish I would have gone faster in a place like Whole Foods. Uh, I tried. I got rejected four times, four years in a row. They wouldn't take a uh-huh. meeting with me. Four years. Yeah. And then finally we found a buyer. Uh, her name was Allie, who bet on us and made us her bet. Uh, and now we're we're the number one brand uh, in productivity in, in Whole Foods. So uh, honestly, it was a lot of patience, a lot of focus, and it was really understanding um, that your first impression is your most important. For sure. It's incredible. Talking on, say, like a new flavor launch comes out, what does that prototyping process look like for you guys as a team? Do you guys have an in-house chef, um, R&D formulator? What, what does that look like? So for reference, I used to work at a, a protein bar startup in LA last year. I launched a protein bar company with Maria Shriver and Patrick Schwarzenegger. And we actually used to call Mosh. Mosh. We actually used to taste Aloha as one of our references for new pro- profiles on new flavors, actually. But we had a formulator who was constantly making formulations for us like every single week. What does that look like for you guys? Well, you and Patrick did something right. Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, nothing gets launched that I don't love, Cameron. Yeah. Um, that's the founderism in me, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm a refounder, right? I'm, I'm, I'm an operator by training. Uh, I came into this and, and restarted the company, but this is the refounding. Uh, so some days I, I operate on a product. I operate much more like a founder, uh, and yeah. in other areas of the business, I operate much more like a GM, uh, or yeah. a, a president. Um, uh, the, the product process is we don't launch anything we don't love. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't compromise our product integrity and values. Uh, we always have clean ingredients and we don't do anything. We don't put anything in the product that I can't spell or I don't yeah. know what it is. Uh, remember, Cameron, you're talking to a dumb hockey goalie. Okay. <laughs> so like, so it's simplicity above all else. Um, and taste and texture matter, right? It's food. This is yeah. food. If it doesn't taste good, the, the consumer at best will have a marginal first impression at best. For sure. 
they won't come for a second. Yeah. The category's big. They got too many options. So you were trying Aloha, hopefully because you're like, huh, consumers seem to like this. Exactly. And, um, and so I'm really interested in our, um, our, our food development. We, yes, we have a, a food developer who works closely with me. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a supply chain executive, Jason Thompson, who came from, from Justin's and other brands who get it right. He's been with yep. me for the big, since the beginning. Awesome. Um, so we're very, very particular about what we launch. But I love to launch flavors on Aloha.com. I love seasonals. Uh, yeah. We just launched a special edition that I formulated from products ingredients in Hawaii, which oh, is really amazing. important to me because Hawaii imports 90%. They don't export anymore. Mm. Um, but if you go to Hawaii and you put your hands in the earth and the dirt and the soil and you see the plants and you talk to the people, like it is the best stuff in the world. Yeah. But it doesn't end up in our products for many, many myriad reasons that would take an entire new podcast to talk about. Yeah. But we did it for a bar called the Kona Bar. Mm. with a fifth generation farm called Greenwell Farms on the slopes, uh, uh, western slopes of Kona uh, with a macadamia nut company called Hamakua on the on Pahala on the southeast slopes of Hawaii Island. Okay. And then with my friend Naveen that I talked about in the very beginning, who was the founder of Terviva, who mm. developed a, an oil from a pangamia bean that you squeeze. And if the whole world used Naveen's oils, we, we would eradicate the rainforest, refor you know, rainforest destruction, uh, yeah. salt, palm oil would be gone. I don't like soy. Um, so it'd be all this good stuff that comes from Hawaii mm. and, uh, and you form it into a product that people, people love Yeah, and you get to do good with it. So we get to give back 50% of the proceeds to Maui strong to Incredible. things like that. And, uh, and to our big partners on the Island Kupu, which is a youth empowerment organization that focuses on entrepreneurship, mentoring, and regenerative agriculture. All mm. the stuff that I went to school in Notre Dame to learn about how to be a better human being, yeah. how to use business for a force for, as a force for good. We're applying that real time back into the world. So our formulation process yep. is holistically complicated. And yeah. at the end of the day, it is purely simple. It has to be the right macronutrient profile, the right certifications, mm -hmm. the right brand fit and feel, and it has to taste good. Yep. I love it. I, something I really appreciate is the stress and focus on mission-driven. And on the site as well, you guys really talk on employee-owned. If you can kind of touch on that and what that means to you as founder and also just kind of for the company overall and the, the culture within. Well, look, I think if you're going to start a startup, if you're going to work on a startup, um, uh, you, you, you got to get people involved who want to work for themselves. Yeah. Uh, sweat equity is not a theory. It's reality. Yeah. If you ask people to run through a wall, I learned this at Under Armour, you ask people to run through a wall, you better make sure that they feel they have the tools, resources, and and the winning winning attitude. That if they do that, they're winning for themselves, for their teams, and for the broader company. Mm. So uh, when I refounded the company with our lead investor, uh, having employees at the center of that wheel was important to me. Uh, we have not taken private equity money. We're not institutionalized. That doesn't mean I'm anti-private equity. I'm not. Yeah. I just want to make sure that from a position of when you start a company, uh, do the are the employees, is the consumer at the center of your universe? universe? Yeah. Because if it is, then truly you are consumer oriented. You have yeah. to be. If it's not, if you're doing something just for a financial exit, I find that to be incredibly self-serving yep. and short term. Like starting a company is not for the, for the, for the faint of heart. For sure. Um, and many more companies fail than succeed. And, and trust me, brother, there's some bad days. You're fighting yeah. against the biggest CPG companies in the world, and they have all the scale, all the resources. They're very smart people. I was one of them. 
Yeah. And like they they are will pound you to death if you're not laser focused on why you're better, why you're different, why you're special, and why a consumer should give a crap. Mm. So um, so employee owned is the center of that wheel. We also became a B Corp. Awesome. Uh, to show that certification to the world, uh, we changed our charter. We re-registered in Delaware. Um, only about four percent of companies that apply actually get it, and those are ones that think they're going to get it. Otherwise, yeah. they wouldn't apply. Um, and it's the transparency scorecard that you're showing to consumers, to your investors, to your retail partners, uh, to the world um, that you believe business can be a force for good. You can balance mm -hmm. both sustainable profit and yep. sustainability from a value standpoint. I'm a sure. big believer in that. It is possible if mm -hmm. you're focused and choiceful and prioritized. Yep. I love it. Looking at uh, your verticals now, what percentages would you say is your D to C retail, Amazon, kind of what, what is that split kind of looking like today? Yeah, you're like asking like one of my investors, Cameron. Um, <laughs> uh, look, we're a digitally led company. Yeah. Uh, we're a digitally led company. We intentionally went in and said, look, we're going to focus our efforts on leading a digital and choosing the right retail partners in the right cadence. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we're, we're nearing the point we have all this great upside still to come on physical retail. Like yes. a, only a small part of my business is in places like Walmart and Kroger. I'm not in business in Target yet. I'd love to yeah. be. I'm talking to them. But I'd yeah. love to have that be a bigger part of our business. At the same time, we're killing it in places like Whole Foods and Sprouts. Uh, mm. We're killing it in natural grocers and the natural channel. Um, so, so we are, but we are still digitally led. The wonderful yeah. thing is that Amazon is a, is a big, big marketplace that the right brands have a great opportunity to win. Uh, and yep. we have the right people running these verticals to be able to win in these uh, these challenging markets. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, you know, there's no one percentage that's the right pet percentage or not, whether it's yep. digital or retail, uh, whether it's one channel or another. Uh, you have to be profitable in all of them mm -hmm. to be perfectly candid. You can't have a loss leader exactly. in one or the other. Uh, they all have to be distinctive. Like you, there's got to be a role why why a consumer would go to Aloha.com or yep. Amazon. Yep. And as the company owner, Cameron, I have to be relatively agnostic about where they choose to be. Yeah. If you go to Amazon, you buy from Aloha, I'm happy. If you yeah. go to Aloha.com and buy from Aloha, I'm happy. If you go to Whole Foods or Harris Teeter or HEB, or if you go to Meyer in your neck of the woods, yep. I'm happy. Go for it. Buy from Aloha, I'm happy. The consumer is the ultimate arbitrator of where they want to shop and how they want to consume a brand. I have sure. to make myself that I'm available and the experience that we are offering from a product standpoint is equal, mm. equal among all. And that is that great egalitarian nature of what commerce can do. Uh, and, and from my business standpoint, operating the company, uh, I have to make sure that I am okay with that, that, that trade-off. Yep, incredible points. Well, Brad, I, I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way, what would you say that would be? Oh, God. No one wants to hear from me, Cameron. I don't uh, want to hear from myself. No, I do. Um, look, um, <laughs> I did everything my father did, told me not to do. Like he said, <laughs> four words. He said, don't go into retail. And so what did I do? I went into retail. Um, uh, you know, but he told me something really smart a long time ago. And I think every entrepreneur needs to remember it because it's easy to, to think about the roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And it is. It very much is a roller coaster ride. And you don't know what which day what you know you wake up and what kind of day it's going to be because you're not in control of yeah. your own destiny and you have to accept that. Mm -hmm. um, he told me a long time ago, he you know, he said, "Brad, you're not as smart as people think. And you're also not as stupid." 
Yeah. And so I think that even keel, and this is the goalie in me, the hockey goalie in me, Cameron, that is great goalies are just calm, yeah. right? And I think great entrepreneurs have to be somewhat calm, even though we have emotion, deep, deep emotion welling within us. Yeah. But remember that we're not as smart on our best days. And we're mm -hmm. also not as stupid on our worst days. Yeah. And I think that kind of mentality will allow you to kind of see through to the next one um, and, and ride the journey of entrepreneurship. Incredible. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Aloha at aloha.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.